We um, have started a series, and thank you, brother musicians, and thank you, voices, and thank you, brother greeter. We've begun a series about the end times, and there is no doubt that we are in those days where the coming of Christ is certainly imminent and all the signs of the times are upon us. It used to create a sense of curiosity when we would talk about how all the world would be caused to take a mark of the beast. And we sort of wondered how in the world could you make that happen? That you could actually keep someone from shopping or working or getting medical treatment or having any of the other common benefits. And now we see that it is altogether possible. We see that currency has become largely digitized. I can't remember the last time I received a paper paycheck from an employer. And now there are many places where they don't take cash. And if that's all you have, you won't be able to buy anything. And we see how there are so many entities coming together, whether it's the media or the government or large companies who are putting more and more pressure on people and they are saying that if you do not take a vaccine you'll not be able to travel, you'll not be able to work, you'll not be able to participate in certain entertainment venues and on and on it goes. Those things that we used to take for granted as being freedoms, we no longer dare take those for granted because we see how quickly and easily they can be taken from us. All that the government has to do is declare a state of emergency and suspend constitutional rights. It's happened many times before and in many nations, but we have never seen it happen on this level and with this kind of a broad sweeping effect. It would not be any problem whatsoever for a world ruler to impose martial law and uh, impose restrictions that will make life 
impossible or very difficult. And so the things that we see in the book of Revelation, they're not nearly as hard to imagine as they used to be. We would hear people make comments like, earthquakes, there have always been earthquakes. But they've never been like this. Every day, there's an earthquake somewhere on this planet. And uh, you ain't seen nothing yet. People don't really like to read the book of Revelation sometimes because it has within it what the Bible refers to as the time of Jacob's troubles. We call it the Great Tribulation. And the description of the Bible is that it'll be seven years of trouble like we've never seen before. We just had the remembrance for 9-11 and uh, we call it the worst disaster that America has ever seen. The time is coming when people will pray for days like 9-11. because it is nothing compared to what is coming. The Bible says that a fourth of the earth is going to be killed by sword and famine and pestilence and wild beasts. That is perhaps somewhere around two billion people. One out of every four people on the earth will die from these. Sword, referring to war. Famine, of course referring to food shortages. Pestilence referring to disease. What we're seeing with COVID is nothing. And by the wild beasts of the earth. When animals can't find food, guess who is going to become food? People. According to the book of Revelation, the day is coming when people are going to say to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That people are going to pray for death. That's in Revelation chapter 6. 
And I believe also in Revelation chapter 9, where people will desire, they will long, they will beg for death because of how bad life has become, how dangerous this planet has become. According to the book of Revelation, there will be earthquakes that decimate cities like we have never seen. And in fact, one of the earthquakes described in the book of Revelation will be worldwide. And it says the islands will just disappear. And I think that refers to the tsunamis, that the water will just cover them uh, as we have seen in tsunamis before. According to the book of Revelation, there's going to be a cataclysmic event that causes a third of the earth to be burned. You think California wildfires are bad? Not at all compared to this. There will be a cataclysmic event where a third of the trees on our planet will be burned. All the green grass, all the green grass will be burned. A third of the sea is going to become blood. There will be ecological disasters like we have never imagined. A third of the sea life is going to die. A third of the world's ships are going to be destroyed. A third of our fresh water supply is going to become poisoned. And the Bible says that many will die from that because they have been made bitter, in other words, toxic. We're already complaining about the planet running out of water and we're going to lose a third of it to toxicity. For some reason that is unexplainable or not explained in the book of Revelation, but a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars are somehow struck. And so a third of them will be darkened. And so for a third of the day, you won't have any light. And a third of the night, there won't be any light. It's just one disaster upon another. 
that happens over and over and over again. And then we come to a place in the book of Revelation where there are four angels who have been bound, and I take these as demonic angels. We are protected from them at this point, but at some point, God is going to allow them to be released. And so it is what the world has been asking for. We don't want God. We don't want his shackles. We don't want his inconveniences of having to serve him and live for him. The world has a thirst for evil. And God is going to grant it. These four angels, when they're released, they will kill another third of mankind. Somewhere between one and two billion people. And so, a lot of Christians in our day, we read the book of Revelation and our response is, man, that's awful. And I'm glad that I'm not going to be here because of the rapture of the church. As we're talking about the rapture of the church, I have to be honest with you, not all scholars believe that the rapture is going to happen when some of us think it is. There are some brilliant scholars who believe that the rapture does not happen at the beginning of the tribulation period. but at the end. And that the church does not get to just parachute out of the plane and just let all the sinners go down by themselves. That we don't get to jump ship and just watch it sink loaded with sinners. And so maybe we will be here for the tribulation period. The um, thing I've heard a lot of wishful Christians talk about is that 
the tribulation period as for the unbelievers that we are not appointed to wrath and they quote verses like 1 Thessalonians 1 9 that we are to wait for the Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. They read verses like that and, and, and they say, there it is. That right there gives me all the comfort that I will not have to face the wrath of the tribulation period. The thing about this verse is that it doesn't talk about which wrath. Yes, there is the wrath of the tribulation period. But there's also God's eternal wrath, the lake of fire. And absolutely, we are rescued from that. And... Uh, Yes, the Bible does say that we are rescued from the wrath to come. But even if this does refer to the tribulation period, it may not be referring to the beginning of the tribulation period. For instance, the Bible talks about God rescuing his people at the end of the tribulation period in Mark chapter 13. And um, the Bible says in Mark 13, 20, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. That the events of this planet, all the cataclysms, that it's not survivable, it's not sustainable, that life would be ended if God did not intervene. And the Bible says, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And so that tells you a couple of things that, yes, there is a deliverance that happens at the end of the tribulation period. And it also tells you that there are elect who are here during the tribulation period. And some do hold the view that these elect who are here are people who got saved during the tribulation period. And that those who were saved before the tribulation period began, that God rescued them before the tribulation period started. Do you know what that's based on? It's based largely on Revelation chapter 4 where John says, and I saw a door open in heaven and a voice that said, come up here. And scholars have said, that is symbolic of the church being called away from this planet and being taken to heaven. And my only issue with that is that, well, that's not what God clearly said that it meant. And Maybe that interpretation is correct, or maybe it is not. Maybe that was just meant for John to come and see, so you can write the story and share it with the church. 
And so, maybe we will be here for the tribulation period. Um, there's more to the tribulation period than just wrath and justice. What if God wanted to use the tribulation period not to exercise wrath on the church, but to discipline his children? What if that is God's purpose for taking his children into the tribulation period? What if believers go through the tribulation period not for the purpose of wrath, but for purification so that we can be made ready to be the bride of Christ? It doesn't make sense to some scholars that Christ would come for his bride right before the tribulation period. Why not? Because the Bible tells us that right before the tribulation period that one of the characteristics of the end times is the apostasy of the church. Would he come for his Bride, at her worst moment? Would he come for the church when it is as weak as it has ever been? Or could it be that he'll use the tribulation period to purify us? Church historians have noted that every time the world was friendly with the church, every time things were easy for the church, every time the church could embed itself into the culture and prosper, that it was a weak, materialistic, distracted church. And that every time there was persecution, the church thrived and grew and it was healthy and it was passionate. We see that in the book of Acts, that during all of this time of heavy persecution, the Bible says that daily God was adding to the church those who were being saved. Baptismal pool was always wet. Somebody was always getting baptized. Somebody was always getting saved. The church grew in communist Russia under persecution when they had to hide to worship. The church right now in communist China is just growing. And it's even hard to estimate how many Christians there are in China, but 
One thing that is known is that Christianity is flourishing in China, and, and there's nothing that the government can do to get rid of it. The more the government clamps down and seizes property and oppresses pastors and imprisons parishioners, the more the church grows. And compare that to America, where we have all of the religious liberties and all of the opportunities for worship. The church is stagnant, and eight out of ten churches are in decline in America, and probably that number is higher by this point. And so many of the Christians who are going to church and putting in money, they are Christians who are distracted and Pornography has just invaded the men of the church and there's just all kinds of sin and sewer that is infecting the church here in the United States of America. It's hard to find Christians who are on fire and who are, who are wanting and passionate to do something for God. It is hard to find. It is so much easier to find Christians who are living in sin and Christians who are distracted and Christians who are idle when it comes to the work of God. I'll tell you that in the book of Revelation, that when Christ comes for his bride, it's not until Revelation chapter 19, and the tribulation period starts in Revelation chapter 5. It is in Revelation chapter 19 where he says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. I can tell you one thing. The bride is not ready right now. According to Revelation chapter 19, it was after the bride had made herself ready, not after the bride had made herself wretched. The church will be in a state of apostasy coming up to the tribulation. doesn't quite seem like the best time to come for her as a bride. And so for believers who believe that God would not allow us to go through tribulation and suffering. Number one, we would do well to remember that 
That's exactly what happened to believers in the Old Testament who were unfaithful to God. They apostatized, they became distracted, and they became basically idolatrous where other gods were more important than the God of the Hebrews. They went through amazing tribulation. God said, I'm going to send you through stuff where when people hear the story, it'll tickle their, it'll, it'll, he said, cause their ears to basically have a twitch or that would be hard to hear. The Jewish people have gone through amazing suffering. They've gone through a fearful tribulation because of their apostasy against God. When Jesus was talking to the churches in the book of Revelation, he said, repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And so he says, I'll take away from you a leader that will shepherd you, a teacher that will teach you. If you want a social club, I'll let it be a social club. And that was not meant as a blessing nor as a benevolence from God. That was meant as a judgment. He says, if you don't start being the church again, I'll, uh, I'll come and visit. He said to another church, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He said to another church, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And so this would be the picture of the kind of church that would not go through the tribulation period if anybody is not going through the tribulation period, that church that is faithful to God. He said in Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. God is saying that if you refuse to be the church, if you refuse to be faithful, if you refuse to be focused, if you refuse to grow and become the people that I'm calling you to be, God says step one is I'll get in your face. I will reprove you. And God has a way of doing that, of convicting us, of reminding us. And a reproof is not a gentle reminder, it's a rude reminder. And sometimes God's reminders, they're not enough. They don't get our attention. And so he adds... He ups the ante and he says, I'll reprove and 
discipline. That's the spanking. That's the corporal punishment. That's God taking us through trial and tribulation. Those who believe that we are not subject to hardship because we are the blessed of God. What God says is, you're the salt of the earth. That's your job. To number one, be different than everything else on the planet. Nothing, nothing like salt. And nothing flavors like salt that gives food an attractive taste. We are to bring that flavor of Christ to our culture. And salt, of course, is a well-known preservative. People will take meat that would spoil to the point that it would kill you dead if you would eat it. And they just salt it down. Just cheap, simple salt. And it's preserved. And it can sustain life for years. And we're to be the preservers of our society. Our society is supposed to stay better because we're here. The problem is that during the days of Christ, not all salt was good salt. There was some salt that was mixed with stuff. It wasn't pure. And it would actually lose its flavor. It would become bland. It would become tasteless. The salt didn't stay salty. And that's where the church is now. The salt doesn't want to be salty. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be the ones to preserve our society by sharing the gospel and modeling Christian values. We want to blend in rather than stand out. We want to be cool. We want the world's approval more than we want God's approval. He says, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? I know. With men, that is impossible. Why? Because there is no other institution that is out there that can help the church to be the church. There's no institution out there that can recover Christianity and authenticity. 
What institution out there can help the church become the church again if the church decides we really don't want to be the church? What institution is out there that's over the church that can hold us accountable and lead us back to authenticity? Nobody. But God still has that question, how can it be made salty again? Do you think God is going to abandon his bride, abandon the church? The answer is no. And he promised in the book of Philippians that he would just continue working on it into the day of Christ Jesus again. And so he is not going to abandon the church, but the question is, how can it be made salty again? I think he answers that question. Because he says in Matthew 5.13, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. What is it that really helps the church to be the church again? It is when the culture turns against the church, tramples it underfoot, persecutes it, does it wrong. It starts to remind us that this world is not our home and that the world is not our friend and we're not one of them. We are the family of God. We are a part of a different kingdom. It is the persecution of the world that reminds us that there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of darkness. And if we're hanging out with the kingdom of darkness and trying to impress the kingdom of darkness and trying to be friends with the kingdom of darkness and wants to blend in with the kingdom of darkness, God allows the kingdom of darkness to remind us, you're not one of us. I want to tell you that God has not delivered his people from every tribulation. In fact, one of the best churches there in the book of Revelation, probably the best church, God says unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the first and the last, meaning himself, his Alpha and Omega, who was dead, that's him, the one who died on the cross, and has come to life, that's Jesus, the one who was raised from the dead, says this, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And he's talking about being rich, spiritually, eternally. And the blasphemy by those who say they're Jews and are not, but a synagogue of Satan. God allowed them to go through tribulation and poverty. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. He says to them, all right, 
I'm, I'm about to share something with you. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. He says, Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. So that ye will be tested. You know the world doesn't know if we're Christians or not these days. There's nothing that tests that confession that we have made. We say we're Christians, but there's so many people who say they're Christians. And God says to this church, some of you are about to get the test that is going to make it clear that you're a born-again believer. He says, and you will have tribulation for 10 days. That's a reminder. When you're going through the tribulation, hey, just remember, I got my clock on this. I'm in charge of this. I'm still in control. You will have tribulation for 10 days. And then he says this, be faithful until death. And what God is saying to this good church, uh, I am going to permit some of you to go through tribulation that's going to kill you. Some are going to give their lives in order to pass the test. There was a schoolgirl right there in one of the shootings. I think it was um, Columbine, however you say it. I think she wrote a book about it. Or a book was written about it. Not her, but a book was written about it. The guy with the gun walked up to her and said, Are you a Christian? And that's the point where you can deny your faith or stand on your confession of faith. To her, being identified with God was more important than life itself. The answer was yes. She could have lied. She could have succumbed to fear. She didn't. Schoolgirl.
Be faithful. All right, God, how far do I go with this? All the way. All the way. And I will give you the crown of life. What's he saying? <laughs> the good stuff, the rewards, the big rewards, those are reserved for the people who suffer with me. It's not for the easy Christianity where we just waltz in late every Sunday and never do anything and don't win anybody to Christ and don't work in any ministry and don't encourage anybody. Just enjoy life and do your thing. It's not, it's not, it's not for those Christians. It used to be normal for Christians to want their Christianity to cost them something. Are you all familiar with the term the great hope? It's from the Bible. The great hope of Christians in Bible days was that I hope he comes today. That was every day. I hope he comes today. That was their hope every day. I hope he comes today. And the Apostle John said, those who have that hope purify themselves. Those are the ones who say, I hope he finds me. Pleasing when he finds me. I don't want him to find me idle. I don't want him to find me gossiping. I don't want him to find me in filth. I don't want him to find me with no fruit, going to heaven all by myself, not taking anybody with me. No sacrifice just enjoying life and just floating through like God called us to a cruise ship and not a battleship. Jesus, he seemed to think that we would face tribulation. He told his disciples then 
they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. If you don't know, if you haven't noticed that the animosity toward Christians is heating up, you must live under a rock. How dare we say to a woman that killing a baby is murder? How dare we read a book that says homosexuality is an abomination? How dare we read a book that says all the Muslims are going to hell if they don't repent? Of course, that same Bible says all the Baptists are going to hell if they don't repent. You will be hated by all nations. We're safe in America, all nations. Your bubble is going away, all nations will have a hatred for God and God's people. It seems Jesus actually promised it in John chapter 16. He said, in the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I've overcome the world. And he tells us that, uh, yeah, we win in the end. Why would somebody give their life why would they allow their life to be taken instead of just saying, no, I'm not a Christian. And then just keep on worshiping God, doing church, evangelizing the world. Why would you give your life if it's just one person nobody else knows why would you give your life instead of living on and taking care of your kids and why would you give your life Do you know when 
the devil said to Jesus in Luke chapter 4, Hey, if you just bow down one time and worship me, everything will be yours, the whole world. You don't have to go to a cross. I'm the God of this world. And 1 Corinthians chapter 4 backs that up. He's the God of this world. It was just the two of them. It was just a private moment. When the Hebrew boys wouldn't bow down and worship an idol of Nebuchadnezzar, he called them away from the multitude. Boys, just us now. If you'll just bow down this one time, I'll call it forgiven. You can go on about your lives. But if not, you're going straight to the furnace right now. It was a private moment. The Jewish friends were not around. And they said, we don't even have to think about it. We don't have to pray. We don't have to talk. Where's the furnace? We're ready. Let's go. Why would they do that? Here's why. To dishonor Christ in the presence of even one person is too much. I don't want to shame him, not even in front of one person. Identifying with him, pleasing him, being right with him, that is more important than life. People love Hebrews chapter 11. It's a chapter of faith. Talk of, t- talks about conquering giants and conquering kingdoms. And the book of Hebrews says, hang on a second. That's not the whole story. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 35, it says, and others were tortured. Did they have to be? No. It says not accepting their release. The devil says, I'll give you a way out. It's going to embarrass God, but you have a way out. And they wouldn't accept it.
not accepting their release. <laughs> Why would you do that? Check this out. So that they might obtain a better resurrection. You know what they're thinking about when they're willing to lay down their lives? Here's what they're thinking about when I see Jesus. That's what they're thinking about. Did you know that soon you're going to get to meet Jesus? He's real. And you're going to meet him face to face. And for those who stayed focused, who stayed clean, who kept their passion for God, who live lives so they could bear fruit for the kingdom of God, and it's not for this little cesspool of things we can gather down here, but they live their lives for him. What a glorious moment that's going to be when Jesus looks them in the eye and say, that's exactly what I wanted. You did it right. Well done. Can you imagine the multitudes of angels who are clapping along with him as they say to you, well done. Because the folks around you were so distracted. They were so idle. They were so out of focus with the wrong stuff. Wrong priorities altogether. You just held it all together. Stayed on course. You were faithful and reliable. And whew, God reward for you. When, when they were thinking about seeing Jesus, they were saying, I want it to be right. I'd rather stand with Jesus and give my life than deny him in front of even one person. They were tortured. We hear that word tortured and they go, yeah, I know somebody blasted them on Facebook. No, nah, that's not torture. If somebody can upset you through Facebook, you're weak as water. That's not torture. Yeah, they experienced prison. They experienced mockings. And we're not, we're not talking about nah, 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 nah. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about in-your-face, violent people who are saying, we want you dead. 
scourgings. These are public beatings. There were severe beatings, and sometimes people didn't survive the beating. This was extreme violence. Chains, imprisonment, they were stoned. Stoned by angry mobs. Stoned until they died. They were sawn in two. It's a reference to the prophet Isaiah. Hey, Isaiah, you want to give up this God thing you got going on? Nah, I'll keep on preaching. We got a solution. They sawed him in two. They were tempted. Tempted to deny God. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins. Why? Destitute. We got to put on whatever we can find. Afflicted, ill treated. Nobody came to their rescue, nobody gave them justice. Wandering in deserts. Where do you live? Mountain. Live in a cave. Live in a hole in the ground. That's how they were treated. You know why they were treated like that? They chose to be. We'll take that over having a resurrection without reward. We'll take all the pains that you can throw at us over shaming God. I find myself believing that it would be so much better for the church to go through the tribulation than to say we're scared to go through it and we are willing to leave all the sinners behind and let them go to hell so that we will not have the discomfort of the tribulation period. A lot of Christians these days know nothing about loving their neighbor as themselves. Get me out of here, God. I just wonder if God needs us to stay. 
Because during the tribulation period, there are going to be so many people who are going to figure out, I need to find God. Do you remember what happened the Sunday after 9-11? Do you remember what happened? The churches had people again. They had people who hadn't been to church in a long time because people were getting nervous and they were being reminded that I need to get right with God. There's going to be a multitude of people who are going to be saved during the tribulation period. And perhaps that is because the church will be here and the church will get purified and the church will understand that the things of this world are so temporary and my focus is in the wrong place and I'm going to focus on building the kingdom of God. Maybe that's a part of how so many people get saved during the tribulation period. As the Bible says in Revelation chapter 7, there was a number that no man could number standing before the throne of God. I'm uh, waiting on the rapture, waiting to get out of here. It's altogether possible your ride is going to be delayed. Maybe you'll be here for the tribulation. Let's pray, shall we? Help us, dear God, even from the days of Cain and Abel, your people have been persecuted. And through the centuries, we have seen story after story, multitudes of your people suffering because they chose God. There was a real commitment. Multitudes of people giving up their property, giving up their freedom, giving up their friendships, giving up their families, giving up their lives. And now here we are. It's our turn to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we don't want to serve. We don't want there to be any sacrifice. We're modern-day Christians. We are above that kind of thing. We've been called to just a bed of roses and lives of ease and uh, no price to pay, no battle to fight, no, no cross to bear, just saved by grace and uh, living our best life now. Cowardly, lazy, 
so short on affection for others and so much love for ourselves. We are messed up. Messed up. The bride isn't ready. Isn't trying to be. Isn't even looking forward to the wedding anymore. Do what you have to, dear God. Take me through whatever you need to take me through. Take us through whatever it'll take to get our attention. Do what you have to. Put us in the oven. Take us through the fire. Take us through the flood. Take us through the loss of possessions and health and wealth and friendships. Maybe we'll have to lose good jobs and maybe we'll have to lose nice homes and maybe we'll have to lose nice cars. Maybe we'll have to lose our freedom. Do what you have to, dear God, do. So that you can get the glory. And so that your church can be purified. And so that lost people can come to know you like we have. Don't spare us any pain, any heartache. Do what you have to, dear God. To make us right. To make us like Jesus. And we'll give the glory to you. We don't want to come home without our works done. We don't want to come home like babes in Christ. Do what you have to is our prayer. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.